So in technology, we have open source software, we have open source hardware, and we love these things. However, arguably, the internet that we see is presented to us and filtered through algorithms, whether it's on Google, whether it is on YouTube, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever. All of the data that ends up on our screen for us to read has been filtered through an algorithm. An algorithm that we know absolutely nothing about. Okay, Jeff, have kind of an open-ended discussion for you today. Oh, these are always um, fun. Yeah, because we never really know where it's going to go. I mean, I have some I have some plans, but who knows? Yeah, exactly. Um, so my question for today, and obviously, like we always say, we would love feedback from people on this, is should algorithms be open? So in technology, we have open source software. We have open source hardware, and we love these things. However, arguably, the internet that we see is presented to us and filtered through algorithms, whether it's on Google, whether it is on YouTube, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever. All of the data that ends up on our screen for us to read has been filtered through an algorithm, an algorithm that we know absolutely nothing about. We don't know how it's working. I mean, we can figure some of those things out, but there's a lot of power that controlling what that algorithm does and how it works. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I've been having some discussions with some photography friends of mine. So I'm going to focus specifically on Instagram in this case, because that's the one that I've talked to other people the most about. Now, for those that don't know, photography is a part-time job for me. I'd estimate that probably a third of my yearly income comes from photography. So I was talking to friends about Instagram and why they didn't like Instagram. Now, there's obviously a a billion reasons why photographers don't like Instagram. But the response that I got from several friends all were about, at the, end, at the end of the day, were about the algorithm. Now, I don't know if they all knew it was specifically about the algorithm. It was about the way that they felt out the Instagram was working and operating. But knowing how some backend things work, that's where I see all of these issues coming to. So I wanted to actually read some of the emails that I got back from them on what caused you to not like Instagram? Or what was the, the point where you're like, that's it, I'm, I'm sick of this, I'm tired of this, I, I hate it. Mm, that sounds interesting. So one of them said that I was spending way too much time on Instagram, not even just posting, but endless scrolling when I had free time. I was liking other people's comments and photos, even if they were photos that I didn't like. And I was making obligatory replies so that I didn't piss anyone off for not responding. I realized I had become a drone conditioned and conditioned into behavioral responses. That's, wow, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I would like to disagree succinct, with them, but- uh, Pretty yeah. succinct and to the point. Yeah. So the next one was less quality, more junk. And what he said was, in the past, you could have a banger shot and it'd be seen and shared because the quality was great and it'd bump up everyone's feed. But then something changed. The new system seems to reward garbage. So long as you're shoveling it in by the bucket load. This seems to be the standard with social media as these cultures these days. Instead of raising the bar on good content, the system seemed to reward those who shovel the most crap. 
And that means that good quality content gets buried unless you already have a following. So new people trying to break into the scene and grow a following, it's exceedingly difficult for them. And it's practically become a full-time job in and of itself. Who has time for that? Uh, yeah, right. Well, that's why there's businesses now exactly. that are actually yeah. come up yeah. just to handle that for you. Yeah. Another response was about artistic control. I realized I was changing the photos I wanted to shoot because I knew they wouldn't do well on Instagram. Oh, yeah. I would yeah. compose shots with a four mm. by five vertical crop because I knew regular cropping won't go as well on Instagram. And it was a smack in the face when I realized that I, as a professional, was changing what I knew to be a better photograph just so it would do well on Instagram. Uh, I feel for you, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then there's the last one. And this one, <laughs> uh, this one's great. So he wrote, when I realized that programmers were having a negative impact on my career and the community I love, Instagram has changed the perception of what people expect and think about a good image. Instagram has created more fads than anyone else. And in their attempts to drive traffic to make money, they're cannibalizing an industry. In the past, when we would look at photos, we would look at them and take a while. We would take everything in. We would process them. We would think about them. Now, you're lucky if you get a second view time from someone flicking through their timeline. Programmers are steering people away from quality images and towards what they think, and he put that in quotes, is a good photo which realistically is a photo that can make Instagram money. This has created a horrible feedback loop where you see trends come and go every few weeks and quality images don't stand a chance. As an experiment, I created a fresh account and did nothing but post images by Ansel Adams, Henry Cartier-Bresson, Robert Frank, Eugene Smith, Irving Penn, Helmut Newton, Paul Strand, etc. And at the end of one month, I had 15 followers. Why are programmers that don't know anything about photography dictating what is a good photo by what the algorithm chooses to promote? Now, for people mm. who don't know famous photographers, the list that he just gave are some of the most famous photographers in the last 200 years. And it's kind of hilarious. Well, I, I do have a question this... there. Okay. How many photographers were, were there? There were a lot. So I actually have photos of my house from the late 1800s by a guy who taught photography in the town that I live in during the summer, who was a professor at Dickinson University, where he was a science professor, and he also taught photography there. So photography has been around for a while, and there have been a lot of photographers. I think there is a cultural thing where people don't realize that, but it's definitely still a thing. There have been a lot of famous photographers for a very, very long time. This is not something that's just come up in the past hundred years. So specifically, you know, looking at Instagram and how, yeah, you have people who work in Silicon Valley or, you know, digitally work there if they're actually remote, right. who are making decisions about how the algorithm should work that aren't photographers and don't necessarily have photography's best interest in mind. Because Instagram's goal is to make money. Yes. It's not to promote photography. Well, They're promoting was photography. Was it originally supposed to promote a, photography? It, kind of when it first came up, but once okay. it got swallowed up by Facebook, everything started to change. Okay. Yeah. And who controls a site very much changes how a site runs. For instance, Absolutely. Flickr. When Flickr was purchased by, I think it was Yahoo, they changed how it worked. And they flipped knobs all over the place to try to make it, you know, more traffic, more traffic, drive more mm -hmm. people there. And a lot of the people who were heavy with Flickr 
didn't like those changes. Now, Flickr has since been rebought. Well, it was sold by uh, Yahoo, and it was bought by a company called SmugMug, which is actually the company I use for my portfolio. And their perspective is, we want the site to be for photographers. This mm -hmm. is not Instagram, where everybody gets on and tries to promote themselves. This is a site of photography for photographers. Hopefully, that will make it a better site, but that's, that's a tangent that is kind of neither here nor there on this topic. So as I was thinking about this and thinking about, well, should these things be open? Obviously, there's some arguments for and against. Now, the primary argument against it is it's a trade secret. Exactly. You can't tell people what's going on because that's a trade secret. And okay, yeah, valid. It's a trade secret. The question would be why that matters. Because take Instagram. Competitors to Instagram are not actually competing with Instagram on the same footing. They're different perspectives. They're, they're approaching it from different avenues. They're competing for the attention and the focus. They're not attention, they're not competing on quality of image or, or human community. Because the, the, the no, because they're, they're yeah. it's a very different it's a very different culture and a very different community. Okay, um, you know the people who are, for instance, using Twitter day in and day out, are not just going to one day randomly decide, hey, let's go do all of this on Instagram. Like it's a completely different group with a completely different focus. Okay, so I don't know how much the argument of oh well it's a trade secret really matters because there's not really much secret there that others could take and then use to then beat you. Really, the trade secret is we don't want people to see how the algorithm works. And this is the second argument is, well, people will be able to game the system yeah. if they know how the algorithm functions. Okay, valid. Mm -hmm. uh, however, reality check, people already game the system. Mm -hmm. There are companies that exist that's primary purpose is to figure out how the algorithm works so they can sell that to people who want to do better on platform. Right. A friend of mine in California started a company specifically doing with this with Instagram. He has thousands of accounts and they constantly are doing tests with these accounts and making more accounts and doing more tests to see what if we take a thousand accounts and a hundred of them do this and a hundred of them do this and a hundred of them do this and a hundred of them do this, which ones get the most activity? Oh, well, this group over here that all did this gets a spike in activity. So then let's take that and now let's apply it across to all of them. Oh, look, they're all getting more now. And they literally are, you know, poking the system and trying to fuzz the system to figure out what gets the most activity so that they can then sell that as a service to people who want to do good on Instagram. So there's already people gaming the system. Right. If it's completely open, everybody knows how, and it actually levels the playing field because there's no longer people trying to, you know, in the dark rooms, figure it out so that they mm -hmm. can have a competitive advantage and sell that information because it's open and out there. At that point, it's no longer cheating. Because it kind of feels like to me, you figure out the algorithm, you're cheating. You know, the, the, in, the, in the meritocracy of ideas or meritocracy of images, then the best would float up to the top. But if you know the algorithm that you can kind of ride the wave, then you don't have to work as hard to get it to float up. Mm -hmm. That to me has always felt like cheating. Yeah, so, and also the company who controls the algorithm can also decide, oh, we don't like the results of this. We're going to mm -hmm. tweak it to help drive that down. Mm -hmm. So one of the arguments that I would say against having this not in the open is there's already a cottage industry around gaming systems. You're not stopping anything. Another argument for this being open is that you have people who are not a part of an industry deciding what succeeds in that industry. Yes, I really do not like that at and all. And if you take that principle and you apply it across the board to any other industry, it makes no sense. Should... Photographers get to decide 
what cars get made because, oh, well, we don't like that one and we think this is better. And no, that's that's not the way cars should be made. Cars should be designed and made by people who know cars so they can build them better. There's somebody, I'm sure there's, you know, 10 or 20 Silicon Valley startups that are aiming to revolutionize and rebuild cars in the image of some kind of technocracy promotion or something. You know, mm-hmm. like we, we, we're going to hack cars and make it better. Almost certainly there's somebody, probably because, you know, the whole electric car angle too. But uh, right. like for every cottage industry, for everything we do, there's almost always going to be a startup that says we can do better. And the startup mm-hmm. thinks it knows better than everybody else, especially everybody in the field. Usually it's coming in to be, oh, what's that keyword? Disruptive. So they're going to disrupt an existing field full of people that have a better understanding of what that field is about and saying, no, it's actually about this. And we're going to build a service uh, for other people to make it easy to approach the thing that you've made difficult to approach. We're going to make mm-hmm. it easy. And we're going to make a pile of money and do it. Yeah, that happens. That's happened so many times. And the net result is that company ends up deciding the future of that marketer, that that thing, that niche for a long time until we all get wise to it and kick them out. And it's it's just, you know, why are people making decisions for an industry they know nothing about? Like, this is one of the things that comes up a lot about the medical field is should people who aren't in the medical field be making decisions for how the medical field operates? Well, you know, if, if you, whatever your job is, if you're, if you're a lawyer, would you want fishermen deciding how court cases should be processed? Well, no, because they don't know anything about what you're, they're talking about. So why would we suddenly accept this? But that's effectively what we do with Silicon Valley is we're like, oh, well, these people are smart. They might never have had a thing to do with that industry before, but yeah, sure. They can change the way it works. Like, no, that's a horrible idea. And yet. And and yet, here we are, right. (laughs) And, you know, it's not like they couldn't get feedback from people in the industry. Like Instagram, if they really wanted to, could bring on a whole bunch of photographers as consultants or whatever to help, you know, the people there understand, okay, photography's been going on a while. These are the principles that we, through trial and error, have found produce better images so that people go to Instagram for seeing good images and driving quality up. But again, that's not what Facebook cares about. Mm -hmm. Facebook wants that money. And when you optimize for one thing, specifically, other things are going to get the detriment. And then there's the other elephant in the room, which is the anti-social engineering aspect. Mm -hmm. Now, there was an article in 2014 that I will link in the show notes from Facebook. Well, it was from uh, The Guardian, but it was about Facebook, where Facebook literally manipulated people's feeds to see if Facebook could control those people's emotions. And Facebook found that they absolutely could. Mm-hmm. By controlling the person's feed, they had the ability to control the emotions of the person that they were manipulating. The scientific method. Right. And it's there like, okay, that's a problem. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a very, very, very bad thing. <laughs> a, a little problem. But it's also, it's, it's more than just the face surface value of you're manipulating people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an author, uh, Douglas Rushkoff. I absolutely love his work. In 2010, he wrote a book, Programmer Be Programmed, Ten Commandments for the Digital Age. And he has long been very skeptical of effectively what is a recommendation engine, which at the end of the day is what we're talking about. You know, what YouTube uses, mm-hmm. what Netflix uses when they're like, hey, you liked that? You should go watch this. Um, Amazon. Oh, people who also bought this item also bought this item. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
he did a interview in a BBC four-part miniseries called The Virtual Revolution. It was, I think, in either the late 2000s or early 2010s. I forget exactly when. Um, and he said, recommendation engines are very good at figuring out what people like me would do and telling me what that is. So I can then find out what people like me do. And I can become much more like a person like me. <laughs> Recommendation engines, by telling me what people like me do, are encouraging me to be a person like me. They help me to become more prototypically one of my kind of person. The best and, you, you could be. And the more like one of my kind of person I become, the less of me I am, and the more I am a demographic type. Oh, that's, or, that's a clever way to put that, yes. Said very much more bluntly, you become less like you and more like a stereotype. Mm -hmm. So you're stripping away all the uniqueness that you have, and you're just becoming a stereotype of this type of consumer. Well, that's like on TV, when all those reality TV shows, there's not much reality in a lot of them because the producers go through and make sure everybody who's going to be in front of the camera for any stretch of, you know, uh, a large chunk of the show, they have to fall into one of a certain number of uh, character archetypes and more or less aligning with certain stereotypes, which is why every single reality TV show you go see, you're going to have, you know, the antagonist, the joker, the the drama queen, the this, the that. They're all going to have like the same, it's the same 12 or 15, however many types of people there are. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some some variation depending on the focus. Like I think American pickers would have a different kind of archetypes, but they're, you know, a lot of people they're going to see, they're kind of, I don't know if it's just people are self-selecting themselves, like they're that way, kind of ornery, don't like to take a deal because they got a lot of stuff. Maybe that's true, but it's also, that's the most entertaining thing to go on TV. And so the guy who, doesn't haggle with things like, oh, that's good. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Probably isn't very entertaining for TV, so they don't make it on there. But it seems like they're out there for consumption purposes, not just for tracking purposes, like what you're talking about. We force people into stereotypes, into equivalence classes, because that's how our data deals with them. We can't deal with the, uh, the tiny details too much. There's too much variation for us to actually have action or, or to take action on the data we've got. So we have to force people down. If you're trying to monetize it. Mm -hmm. If you're not trying to monetize it, you're just trying to celebrate something. Photography. We started the conversation about Instagram. We're trying to celebrate photography, good, good uh, settings, good this, good that. You're not trying to monetize it. You're not going to try and work those details out because you never know what someone's going to come up with. Someone may come up with some amazing new technique in optics or whatever. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And if you're constantly shoving people into a box, then that technique may never rise to the surface. No, I just it, I see it in more places than just what you're describing, and it's mm -hmm. in more than just the algorithmic data tracking side of things, and it alarms me a lot. It's one of the reasons that I kind of stay out of a lot of that kind of stuff, or I don't really I don't really watch reality TV very much. And it's not very appealing to me. But uh, that's neither here nor there. That's not on the topic. Anyway, I'm I'm not focusing on it from the tracking point of view. More of the effect that it's having mm. on people over the long term by creating behavioral patterns. Yes, okay. Because once you get people to all start behaving together, then they become sort of a block that can be manipulated as a block. Mm -hmm. And there's a clinical psychologist from MIT, Sherry Turkle, and she's put out probably about a dozen books at this time about our humans' interaction with technology and how we change technology, but also how technology is changing us. 
-hmm. And she's warned that there's a dangerous feedback loop that has created. And in her opinion, it over time is degrading the strength of the individual self. Yes. And that the individual is becoming more and more reliant on external direction and external validation. And one of the ideas that she's put forward is that this is actually possibly going to bring about like a new personality type where she said it right now, generally people have kind of a concept of, I have a feeling I want to share it with others. I want to put that out there, but that can be very simply flipped on its head after time and repeated engagement, because we all know social media companies are, are programming things to, you know, give us all that dopamine response. And it can become over time the, I want to have a feeling so I need to share it so that I then get the ability to have the feeling. Hmm. And that there's okay. a sense where you need the validation and support of the community to in fact have the feeling in the first place. And that Ooh. we're not being yeah. nourished by our technology anymore. We're now becoming consumed by what we've created. Mm -hmm. And again, this yeah. is all happening in the dark. Nobody outside of these major corporations who work on those specific teams have any idea what's going on and how it's operating. And that's not a good thing because we're talking about things that are very important for our society and how we continue. Um, mm -hmm. There's a YouTuber, I forget his name off the top of my head. He has a channel, I think it's called Modern Wisdom, where he's actually postulated that, you know, in sci-fi, there's always that concept of the great filter for mm -hmm. the Fermi Tyrax. So why don't we see alien species everywhere? And he said, like, is this maybe the great filter? Like the mm -hmm. whole, so not specifically Twitter, but, you know, the social media aspect right. where we develop a technology and it is so finely tuned to how we behave and how we act that it ends up creating a nightmare scenario where we just destroy ourselves. I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting argument. And if, if you look at just generally how society has gotten more polarized, you know, we've only been doing the social media thing for 10, 20 years at most. Yeah. Half a generation. Half a generation. Yeah. And the effects of it are enormous. Yes. And we can facet. see that in every facet of life. And again, we as a larger culture don't know what is going on in these algorithms. There's yeah. maybe a thousand people on the planet that are involved in developing and fine tuning these algorithms based on corporate, corporate opinions of how things should go. Right. And that is having an enormous impact on society and humanity as a whole, which brings us back to the original question. Yep. Should these things be open? Well, I don't know that it's going to help, unfortunately. If you knew, well, first of all, the it's, I always say this, every, anytime you dive into a new code base, there's quite a lot of coming up to speed on the norms of that code base and also some degree of archaeology and history and diving into what came before, why was it done this way, this, that, and the other. So there's, there's quite a lot of coming up to speed. For something as complicated as the selection algorithm for what Facebook puts in front of you, there's probably so many facets and angles that I don't, I wouldn't expect any one person to be able to keep almost every facet of the algorithm in their head. You know, maybe it's kind of like strange analogy, but uh, in religion, we have this, you know, in, in Christianity, there's this one book that everybody kind of tends to work from, but there's radically different interpretations of the book. And some people focus on this aspect of it and other people focus on that aspect of it. And I would have to guess 
when you're trying to look at the Facebook algorithm, you would have a similar something. Like I'm going to fixate on the order in which the items that have been chosen come up because that's meaningful. If I put the stuff about your family above the stuff about someone putting a terrorist attack in Croatia, you know, that's going to change your emotions some way. Someone else may be focusing on why the news article about the terrorist attack in Croatia as opposed to, you know, the puppies that were born a county over that were beautiful and we should be happy. Mm -hmm. I think uh, we could open it and we would not be able to make much in the way of change. But so let's just say it's open. Let's just say okay. we know what it is. Okay. If it's open, we can study it, we can figure it out, and we can try to game the system. Almost certainly that's what would happen. It would no longer mm -hmm. be cheating at that point. It would be, you'd be foolish not to look at the algorithm and figure out mm -hmm. if your goal is to get your stuff promoted. But at that point, I think, I don't know how much ability to change there would be. I honestly, I don't know, even if you could see the algorithm, could you affect change in society? Because you see people identifying negative patterns in society all the time and start shouting and ranting about it, and a lot of people don't care, don't listen. They're two heads down in social media to pay attention to mm -hmm. this thing this guy is saying, or that, that book that's been published that really identifies you know, five key problems with modern American society that we really would be beneficial to correct. We're too busy doing something else to pay attention to the book. Mm -hmm. Unless it gets and goes and games the algorithm, and then it comes you know, in front of our face. But I think something like that would be probably pretty anti-social media. And so a lot of the social media algorithms would just quietly dump that one so it doesn't ever come up in people's feeds. Okay. Right. All that is to say, I don't know what, what being able to see the algorithm would do. I okay. call that so a good question. Let me, let me double back and challenge you. Sure. Let's take Instagram, for example. Okay. All right. There's probably a few dozen people at Instagram working on their algorithm. You know what? Let's, let's just go higher than that. Let's say there's 100. 100, 100 people at Facebook slash Instagram that work on the algorithm for Instagram. Okay. Do you believe that those hundred are the smartest people in the world at figuring out an algorithm? Absolutely not. Okay. So here's the thing. Now, now that's we not to say I don't think there are smart people on that team. There's right. probably quite a lot, but I don't think they're the smartest or by my definition, the most appropriate to work on that algorithm. That's okay. all I'm saying before people at Facebook come and send me hate mail. Yeah. Let's take that concept mm -hmm. and now let's reflect that concept with open source development. Okay. Look what happened with open source development when people from all around the world could look at the source code and go, oh, this can be done just a little bit better here. And this can be done just a little bit better here. None of us is smart as all of us. Mm -hmm. And I actually believe that if the algorithms were in the open and people were able to actually look at them, see how they work, you would end up with better algorithms in the end. And because they're open, there's then the ability to have the discussion about not having algorithms that are doing bad crap to people. Okay. Uh, so I because think I'm for, seeing something here. So You're... for all we know, the, the Instagram algorithm could be total garbage. It's just, it happens to be fine-tuned enough to where they can make money with it. Mm -hmm. But if it was developed and more smart people were able to look at it and work together, the algorithm could become better and potentially they could make more money. Potentially. You know, they have gotten themselves into, you know, to use the um, linear algebra uh, tangent here, you know, they could have reached a local maximum uh, that's good or analogy, a local yes. minimum, but yet there is still a, a greater one that they just haven't gotten to because mm -hmm. they've gotten off into in a direction and they pigeonholed themselves mm -hmm. because they're limited in resources, time, manpower, eyeballs, all of that. 
And there's no reason why, if, again, if this was in the open, that people from Instagram couldn't go, okay, well, this is how the Twitter algorithm works. This is how the YouTube algorithm. And we now have multiple different examples of all of these different algorithms. And, you know, that whole scientific method thing, like mm -hmm. we can figure out which yes. works better, which is more effective, which causes unintentional side effects, which are bad, so that they can be better designed. Okay, so I, I think there's part of my question earlier and my response was, let's say the selection algorithm for Instagram becomes visible. We can see it. We still can't change it. In open source, you can see the algorithm, you can see the code, and you can fork it. That's to see it's both. You can see the code and you can do something about it. That's really the, the, the brutality even sometimes people, because that's a lot of companies are steering clear of it because of this very thing. You can change it. You have the rights to change it. I can't go to Instagram and say, hey, you see that right there? If you tweak that, that makes people 14% happier because someone else will turn and go, yeah, but it loses us 8% revenue. We're not doing that. Go pound sand. We don't have any ability to make changes to the algorithm. We can only see it. We can advocate for changes, but we mm -hmm. can't, I think if we can't replicate it, because it's also the enormous data set they have too. If we don't have something resembling that enormous data set, the algorithm only means so much, you know? And I think at the scale and, and quantity that they're talking about, all the data they're going, they're going, if I were to try to create a data set of, I don't know, 100 people, let's say this, uh, this game that just came out was a, Watchdog Legions, where you're pulling tons of people off the street, and they're just got, mm -hmm. you know, catalogs of people. So let's say I go and invent 4,000 people, and then try and run Facebook's selection algorithm against it. I don't think I'm going to get anywhere near the same results that Facebook does, or Instagram does, because I don't have all their data. So Okay, that's true. You also have to keep in mind, though, that the data that they are collecting now is skewed by the fact that they've been running it with their algorithm. Their data collection is skewed by the algorithm itself running. That's true. So they don't have clean data. They've got dirty data that they're reprocessing. They're creating their own feedback loop in a way. Hmm. And yeah, there is, you know, the question of if you could present an, an alternative algorithm to say Instagram and you're like, look, this will make people 14% happier, but you, there's also going to be an 8% decrease in uh, revenue. Well, now it becomes a business projection that needs to take place of, however, if people are 14% happier when they're on Instagram, are they going to use Instagram more because mm -hmm. it makes them happier? Mm -hmm. At which point does that offset the fact that we're losing a little bit of revenue on what we, the activity we were having? Mm -hmm. Because that's always something that goes in with business. You know, you'll have businesses that make that determination, like retail makes that determination all the time. Mm -hmm. If we sell this for $5 less, are we going to sell more so that we actually end up making more revenue overall? Right. We might not make as much per unit, but our overall take is going to be larger. Or like the last leader, those rotisserie chickens that almost every grocery store has that are like absurdly cheap, like 4 or $5. Like, how can you do this? It's clear they're not making them any money at all if, if they're breaking even. But people go to the store specifically to go get one of those rotisserie chickens, and they almost always buy other things there. So right. that's, but that's a decision they're making. I see what you're saying. Uh, I just don't know that it's, it's, I don't know that it's that direct. I, I just plucked those numbers out of my, you know. I know, I know. But, I was uh, just going with them. Now, so who is the person on the Instagram side that's willing to listen to me to say, hey, if you make this change, regardless of what it says, 
because if the if the algorithm is open, there's going to be a hundred thousand people saying, "Hey, if you make this change, X." At that point, now you have to create an algorithm to sort through the ideas that are being presented to the algorithm about the well, algorithm. Well, no, no, I don't think so, because it's the same thing with, with the Linux kernel. Okay, let's say there's something in the Linux kernel that is behaving a certain way, and some schmo is just, you know, writes Greg KH an email, and it's like, yo, bro, you should change X to Y, and it'll be better. Greg's probably going to be like, uh-huh, sure, like, give me some code, go, and go we'll see. Patch However, shut up. Right, if, if Linus calls him up on the phone, and he's like, hey, Greg, do you know, if we change X to Y, it, I think we're going to get better performance. Greg's going to go, oh, okay, yeah. well, let's test that. Let's like, test that. Because there's an understanding that this guy knows what he's talking about. And right. I think the same thing would apply, where if you have somebody who works in the industry and can look at an algorithm that's open and go, okay, this is an area we can prove, that's going to have a whole lot more weight than some dude flipping burgers somewhere who, on his lunch break, pulled up the Instagram algorithm and was like, oh, well, here's the solution to fix everything. Or I mean, that's Swiss not negating... Clerk, for right, example. That's not negating that that dude might be a genius and he's just flipping burgers because that's what he's doing this summer because he mm. needs money. Like, but to say that, oh, well, suggestions wouldn't be taken. I don't know how valid that is. I mean, yeah, there's going to be a lot of suggestions they're going to get, which are crap. But let's also keep in mind, businesses want to make more money. Oh, absolutely. So if somebody actually has a valid argument of, hey, look, dude, I can increase your profit margin by 20% in three years. Most companies are going to be like, okay, okay, if you're, if you're, if you're for real, I'm interested. How much does it cost to prove that he's for real or she's for right. real? First of all, second of all, there's 10,000 people that are all claiming the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's, it's a resource thing. I don't know. I don't know what they're getting from being open. I also think that's something that just businesses in general deal with all the time now. Oh yeah. 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 So everybody's now empowered to say what they want on Twitter right. or across all the social media. So then they just kind of tell companies, Hey, you should X. And sometimes they listen. You know, you see sometimes exchanges like someone suggests that Taco Bell should use Doritos for their taco shell. And I was like, that's a really great idea. They probably already had worked on that in the past. Like, We're going to do that. That happened 10 years ago or something. Whenever Doritos Locos Tacos showed up, it started, it's my understanding, is it started as an idea on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So that happened. But the chance of it happening is so small. The exchange has to be just right. And I, and I had the thought earlier also, there probably is some degree of that. You know, if you make this change, there is a, I don't want to say secret society, but a small enclave of people that are working in algorithms at this scale, of this complexity, of this type, and they probably drift back and forth between all the different companies, whoever's paying more, whatever's going on. Or I, I want to move to San Francisco because I, I'm tired of Seattle's cold, rainy, wet. So let's go to San Francisco for a couple of years. Oh, I'm tired of the traffic and the whatever problem. Let's go back somewhere else. Within that enclave, this probably is happening. And the people that have entered into that enclave or been admitted into that enclave belong much the way that people that have been admitted into kernel developer world they have at least one or a couple quality patches or have solved some problem that says this guy or gal probably knows what they're doing because look what they've already got on the wall so i think this is probably happening in a place we can't see and uh maybe even to the level of driving decisions because poaching goes on we know that happens right but at the, at the end of the day you've still got a small very like very minuscule subculture mm -hmm. that is effectively making these decisions which affect the world and it's yes. all being done completely opaque and there's no ability for any transparency i mean how many times not to get down the political discussion but how many times have social media companies been brought to washington or not just social media companies tech companies in general 
brought to Washington to try to explain, okay, you've been doing this and we don't like this. I mean, this happened to Gates. Mm-hmm. Like this has been going on where you have small groups of people making decisions that affect an entire country or an entire, the entire planet with no oversight. And eventually at a certain point, then people go, huh, there's something going on here that we don't like, mm-hmm. but that is extraordinarily slow to get started because it is so opaque. Mm-hmm. We have had the great push to open source software. Mm-hmm. You know, you look back to the, the early 90s when Microsoft was dominating everything. If you'd have said then, hey, open source software, th- let me just tell you, it's the way to go. There'd have been a lot of people that'd be like, yeah, but I mean, it's too complex. You know, nobody's going to be able to figure that out. They, these guys are really smart. They've moved between Sun Microsystems and, and Apple and Microsoft. These guys know what they're doing. Just just let them do it. Yeah, that's a very good analogy. It's the same argument. It's, it it's another small group of people doing work in the dark that nobody else can see. Mm-hmm. And once people started doing it in the open, advancements just came out of everywhere. I think you're right. Maybe I just don't have the imagination to picture the world in which such an algorithm is open. To me, that's that's core to what makes Facebook tick. You know, it's they open that. How much revenue are they going to lose? Tons, tons and tons of revenue. So I just, I just, I don't have the imagination to picture it. I guess if we pick something a little smaller, I could, I could have a better. Well, okay. Idea of so it. just, just for sake of argument, how would opening it up cause them to lose revenue? Immediately, everybody that's because they to remember use Facebook you've even said owners. no one can change it except Facebook. So okay. even if people know how the algorithm works, Facebook is still serving ads. Okay. So let's say I have 10,000 people that need to get from point A to point B, and I have mm-hmm. anyone of 12 rows to pick from, you know, and a selection criteria decides this one road, road four, is the most efficient. And so it sends 85% of the people down road four. All of a sudden, that's no longer the most efficient. So by virtue of the algorithm doing something, you've made, you've changed the situation. If someone mm. can see... No, because the algorithm is not like a road. Okay. I get, I get the analogy you're making yeah, yeah, there, you're but saying. there's you're not going to run into, oh, I'm going to skew the algorithm in this direction, and suddenly I'm going to create a traffic jam of packets. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Well, I think it could. I think you could I think you could uh, apply stress on the algorithm if you knew where the, the, the uh, inflection points were. Um, and you could, you could say, if I flood the feeds with 10,000 crap articles about dogs which happens. And then that means there'll be so much about dogs, that'll be like the baseline. So when I have an article that's about, you know, an important geopolitical topic, suddenly that will pop up because it's not about dogs and we need something other than dogs. All of a sudden, boom, my geopolitical article gets very good coverage because I have applied pressure on another part of the algorithm. And I could do that because I know what the algorithm is. I but everybody knows what the algorithm is. So it, it levels the, the playing field out so you don't have an individual bad actor here or there, Mm. you have everybody being able to see what drives traffic and what doesn't. Mm. Now, there's an argument to be made about whether that would cause a disaster, and I don't know, maybe that would. I think it might. But I think that it being open itself wouldn't cause Facebook to lose any money. Mm. Um, The actual, the argument could be flipped backwards and said, actually, they would make more money because now that people know how the algorithm works, they can cater their content so that it gets seen more on Facebook, which means Facebook makes more money off ad revenue. It can go both ways. I suppose. Uh, I guess, like I was saying earlier, I don't have the creativity or the imagination to, to picture that scenario because it just sound, it sounds a little racial to me, to be honest. I, I think it's a good um, 
I, it's, it's more than a thought experiment. I think it's it's valuable to investigate these things. I just I can't imagine the scenario uh, that that algorithm is open. I, I'm really struggling to picture the impacts of it because it's it sounds so far fetched to me. And that's that's my own limitation. I'll, I'll perfectly admit that. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot there to explore, but I also think we're kind of starting to run a little bit long on our topic here. And my understanding is we had some uh, some response from last time. Yeah, we did, and it act it it somewhat dovetails on this. Okay, but with the length of the episode, we're gonna make let's everybody roll it wait back. again. We're gonna okay. make everybody wait one more time. One more week. Um, however, on the topic of feedback, uh, I would love to hear other people's thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, how to contact us will be in the description in the show notes. Let us know. Give us your input. Maybe you've thought something that neither one of us has, and we can have an interesting discussion on that. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Well, until next time. 